and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. We are back on a Monday night, same time, same crew, having a lot of fun, all of us over here. If you guys, uh, we should do a behind-the-scenes documentary uh, and just show <laughs> yeah, no. before or after the show. And honestly, all you guys would need to see, you don't even <laughs> have to be on there with Galley. We only need Bickler and his background and what happens in behind that black wall you guys don't want to know because uh, we definitely get access to it tight yeah. fit tight fit that's the answer it's a tight fit and if he moves too quickly that wall comes down like the wall came down in berlin and the wall fell just as hard a little earlier tonight during the pre-production meeting oh, and by God. pre-production meeting people i mean we shot the shit and really just kind of bantered just slightly less yeah. than normal you should excuse the street-looking people in the background. Those are my yeah, kids. Basically, basically, ultimately, the short version of the story is uh, Bickler ran out of beer, so he decided <laughs> to just go through the wall instead of around it uh, to access the refrigerator. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, chaos ensued. Oh, welcome to everyone uh, to the Monday Night Podcast. I am your host, as always, Timuchin here in Chicago. Uh, feels like it's Halloween out there, like weather-wise. All the snow is gone and everything like that. It's crazy, but it has been an awesome, awesome weekend. Well, for me, uh, especially like yesterday, Liverpool, Fenerbahce, then top it off with a stressful 49ers win, and we are back here. Galley, you had no horse in the race yesterday for the most part. How are you holding up? I held up fine because I didn't really have anything to do except for root for my... Uh picks and sheets and they didn't work out that well either but uh yeah no once buffalo was out of things i didn't have to pretend like i was actually caring about anything else uh for my in-laws and or my wife so it was just watching baltimore do what they do which is come up short and see the kansas city swifts make their way to the super bowl and then I knew it was the Battle of the Monday Night podcast we watched it in our house actually and kelly asked multiple times like how do you think it's going for both of them? And I'm like, Timuchin's a little nervous, won't talk in Discord. Bickler is completely MIA. He might be in a witness protection program. And basically, at any moment, I think Kelly was mostly worried about where Bickler was as it went. Because at one point, she thought he might be hitting an all-time high. And by the end, she knew they were taking belts and shoelaces. And, well, at least they didn't take his picture first, so there's a first for everything. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a stressful watch. I mean, yeah, initially I was on, then I was like, yes, I got to focus. And then I was too miserable to comment or anything anyway. And then I don't know if you guys have stupid superstitions like I do, but I was sitting in a certain position, and I swore I could not even freaking move because I'm like, hey, the, you know, we're coming back over here, so I should not move. And I don't think I moved till like there were two minutes to go. Dogs were excited. They were like, who scored? Is it a goal? Liverpool leading? What's going on? Uh, but they did. They were rewarded with some snacks. Bickler, what's happening? How are you holding up? <laughs> you know, I have just never felt so loved in my entire life. The amount of people I've had do like buddy checks on me and stuff in the last 48 hours has been <laughs> unreal. Uh, like my really good friend just messaged me in the middle of the third quarter in the game. And he's like, He's a big football dude, diehard Giants fan, uh, but huge like football analytics guy. He's like a total football freak. And he just texts me. You know it's bad when he just texts you in the middle of the third quarter and he goes, Hey. And then the next the next message is, let's get a cabin in Montana and never talk about football again. <laughs> like, like, 
<laughs> and uh, but you know, a lot of people got on this bandwagon because I think they think Detroit specializes in losing. Well, folks, they, they specialize do. in heartbreak. That's what they do. <laughs> and so, like that is that is what Detroit does. They specialize in heartbreak. So, in true Detroit fashion, they stayed completely true to the roots. And in some really fucking weird, traumatic childhood way, like losing that game stung so good because it just reminded me of disappointment as a child, whether it's losing to the Redskins in the playoffs, whether it's Barry Sanders walking out in the prime of his career in your life, whether it's finally forgetting that and having Kelvin Johnson walk out in the prime of his career in your life. So, you know, this one, uh, it was a good hurt. Um uh, you know, hat tip to the Niners. You can't give a team that good opportunities, and that's what they did. Took the foot off the gas, forgot what they were good at, made some questionable calls, didn't execute. You can't do all those things collectively against a good team, or you're going to get beat. Michael says some Super Bowl, some Lions fans bought Super Bowl tickets at half. That was the jinx. Really? Detroit. They're going to try. Those are just people trying to resell those tickets anyway. Detroit. <laughs> you can't take the hustle out of Detroit. What happened First of all, anyway? I just want to I want to make a statement. If those people bought those tickets, they're worth more today than they were yesterday. So Honestly, they yeah. made a good decision. <laughs> Jinx yeah. or not, people. Okay. I wish I had bought some Liverpool tickets for the last match of the oh, season God, yeah. on Thursday freaking afternoon because they'd be worth a lot more. Right exactly. Now. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad investment at all, but it's quite the expensive investment from what I heard. But speaking of heartbreak. Uh, we didn't get a chance, to, obviously, that we've been talking about it all week. Uh, the boys had, like, a great show, actually, on Friday Night Live. Uh, and then we talked about it Friday morning as well. But haven't got a chance to talk about it with you guys in terms of clubs, announcements, and leaving and stuff like that. Uh, so, I mean, I, we have a lot to talk about in, in terms of the game yesterday. And then we have two huge games coming up. But, obviously, it's not a topic we can ignore. So, we'll go probably over time in terms of, like, what we liked about this era and what we want to see coming up and stuff, but I mainly kind of wanted to get your guys' reaction to it. Bickler, let's start with you on this one. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Ah, <laughs> oh, kids, you guys thought I forgot. And to be fair, I did. But now oh, the back, bitches. Uh, did not forget about I was it. like, well, this acting's really improved. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> 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 I've been taking lessons. Uh, no, I did actually initially forget. But, uh, you know, BJ sends in these trivia questions. You don't want to let it go to waste, uh, especially C and the audience. you got to give the audience what it wants, people. Uh, okay. Obviously, it is going to be club-related. How many matches did it take for Jurgen Klopp to get his first win in all competitions as a Liverpool manager and against which club? Ding, 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 ding. Same, I don't. I need. I need you to repeat that question. Oh my God! Here we yeah. go. Um, how many matches did it take for Klopp to win his first game as a Liverpool manager, and who was that match against? Like I rewarded. Okay. Okay. Name um, and terms. <laughs> God, I don't remember this. Three matches in the the team was Norwich. I don't know. Galley? I was also going to say three, but I'll switch it up just to not say the same thing as Pickler because that usually means I won't be right. 
Tell me you're wrong without telling me you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I agree with Bickler. I'm gonna go with four. Uh I'm gonna go with four, and I'm gonna say the first win was against Watford. The answer is four. So partial credits of the winnings goes to Galley over here. It was against Bournemouth, a 1-0 win in the League Cup, actually. I I almost said it, but then I was like, wait, we lost to Bournemouth almost every time we played them at the beginning of that Klopp era. (laughs) So it felt like it probably wasn't. But uh, it was the League Cup, right? Because they lost, I think they drew the first match with Spurs, right? Was it 1-1? They drew the first match or 0-0? I only that know first as much match. as BJ tells me, man. So <laughs> I just I remember the first match was against Spurs. And if you yes. see the lineup, it's the most ridiculous thing you'd ever see in your whole life. Like it's like the lineup he put out there for the first match is so ridiculous. And it's exemplified by the fact that Divac Origi is in it. Like that lets you know what he started with. <laughs> what he almost said. With. No, you know the funny thing is, like totally off topic now, but I did see, you know, <laughs> what we would probably consider, and like I say, we can probably do like ten shows on Klopp and the Klopp era and stuff. But you know what we would probably consider a Klopp starting eleven, and I saw somewhere, and I don't know if that is true to it. So should get BJ to do the research for it for us. But that lineup had only played together actually once, and. It was the quintessential club li- lineup, you know, Trent, Robo, uh, I think it was Matip, uh, Van Dyke, Allison, um, Wijnaldum, I want to say, uh, Fabinho, Henderson, and then the top three. Uh, the And the, I was shocked that it said in the stats, and I saw this on a, quite a few places, that lineup actually started as a starting lineup 11. 0-0 Tottenham is confirmed first of the three draws so let's get back to it now that we all enjoy trivia and piled on bickler's misery with more misery uh let's go to the club misery uh how did you take the news obviously the shock is uh, goes without saying but uh what are your like initial thoughts uh i guess just one of like just profound sadness you know what i mean it feels like uh I don't, I don't ever like to like compare death here, but it feels like, like when you lose a really, really good friend, like when they say goodbye and you know, you know, either you're not going to see him again or I don't know. I, I just, it felt like loss, like overall, it just felt like loss. And I think, uh, I think what really makes Jurgen unique is like, you know, we can talk about what shape he left the club in, the improvements he's made, the trophies he's won. Um, you know, the fact that Liverpool is back as an elite club on the international front and club soccer, club football. Um, but I think what he really brought, in my opinion, was like this sense of community back into Liverpool football in a way that is so uh, core to the fabric of that club. <clears throat> and in a way that you see in grassroots football that you don't often see in modern football anymore. And I think, like, when when I think about the loss of Jurgen Klopp, I think tactics can be evolved. You can bring you can bring world class tactics back to the club. You can bring a manager who can acquire world class talent. You can bring scouting. You can bring directors of footballs. You can bring brilliant minds into the building with analytics, and you can replicate those things. But it's really hard to replicate the type of leadership that he brings 
in the way that he makes players play for each other in modern football, in a way that he makes players play for a city in modern football. I don't think those things can be easily replicated. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, Brian says, you know, the unique thing about Jurgen was he got us. And yeah, it's like, you know, he, no one could be a better fit, which obviously is the problem that we will have moving forward. But how about you, Gally? Yeah, I mean, it was it was an emotional morning, right? When I heard about it, I was like, no. I, I genuinely, I think there were a few people who ever shared it in our Discord channel. It was like, almost like the joke, like, you're not getting me to click on that. Like, this is like one of those things guys send out in a big group text and you click on it and it's like a naked dude, like standing like this with a sign that says good morning or something. You're like, why was I stupid enough? Or to, like, click in the, the kitchen link? or something. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> scary but i i just it, it it was one of those things when i really read it and then i thought about it and i it kind of set in and it made me realize like i agree with paul there is a feeling of loss and like there is that like equating because i think when someone is that good of a leader and makes you believe in things and makes you think that things will be okay you hear like you see him talk to the players you hear when something major happens at the club and you just know you're in good hands like you know you can get through anything and i think when you have a, the idea that a person of that stature is going to leave you know things aren't going to get better like it might be different there might be immediate results someone might come in and win something massive immediately and we might be like wow this is really cool and fun and different but it it won't be the same and i think it's become so normal because he was really really normal and basic and comfortable and it just you know the got us comment by brian is is really a good one because you know when i got into this sport it was because it was something new for me to learn and like a cultural change from watching american sports and i read books about like what it was like in the 70s and 80s and then i like feel like i got to witness that in in the 2018s to 2024 by watching a manager like treat kids in the neighborhood like they were his own and like it just I don't know if we'll ever have another manager like it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, personality-wise, right? I mean, when I saw it, I was up in the crack of dawn uh, beating up on some kids probably uh, on FIFA because I was like, it was way early. Even early, like way early, not just early for me kind of a thing. And Like he hadn't gone to bed, people. He <laughs> hadn't gone to bed. So I look and it's I see the only kind of early he knows. <laughs> no, man, it was like really like 4.35 and stuff. We're talking really early, like early for everybody, not just me kind of thing. But I saw it on the feed. And honestly, my initial reaction was it is early. I haven't slept much. I was like, what is the date? Because it seemed like a cheesy kind of like what you're saying, Gally, but it seemed like a cheesy April 1st kind of a stupid like MAP of science for 20 years or something like that, you know, that you would be like, oh, April 1st, we get it. And my literally initial reaction was like, what is the date? And then I was like, wait, the kids I beat up on, on FIFA can't wait. So I went on to YouTube and I watched the interview because initial reaction is like, why? Everything is going so good now. You know, we could have maybe understood if this was last year. We talked about on the Monday podcast ourselves that he doesn't look like he has the same kind of energy. He looks like a guy that was almost like semi-defeated, tired, whatever, you know, like especially 
maybe not this time last year, but definitely like the end of 2022. And I'm like, why now kind of thing? And I listened to that. I watched the entire interview and I was like, I get it. Like when I watched that interview, I was like, I get it. And I told the story uh, in the morning as well. I mean, I'm sure like Bickler can relate to it. Actually, Gal, you probably too, because I know you're kind of like line of business goes and cycles too. But uh, way back in the day, freaking decades ago, like I used to, uh, work retail and I was a hardware manager and it was like, you know, we were also the seasonal department. So, you know, it's kind of like a constant cycle, summer, winter, Christmas, blah, blah, blah. And I really loved it. enjoyed it because of that change. It was constantly changing. And I maybe never even thought about that. You know, I was kind of sick of it or I needed something else now or anything like that. But I remember this very significant moment of like standing by my desk and I see like a forklift, forklift going in the background, carrying patio furniture. And I was like, yeah, I'm done with this shit. And like, I, I, it was just like all that, I guess, built up stuff I didn't notice. But I was like, yeah, it's time for something new. I'm done with this shit. Like, I'm not going through this full cycle again. And watching that interview, I just almost envisioned him in his office looking at like the off-season travel plans and transfer stuff. I'd be like, yeah, I'm done. Like, I just don't have the energy to do it again. Because, I, I mean, what makes him special to me? And I know, like, we kind of get connected to our managers and stuff like that, coaches of our teams, especially when they're successful. But aside from, like, his manager and how he manages a team and he can get in the city, when you listen to the dude, I'm not a religious person, and he is, but his takes, even with religion and world politics and stuff like that, I could not be more aligned with and how he, like, sees things, how he expresses things, how he views life and stuff like that. I just felt like, you know, there was, like, I connected to the dude in that sense. So when I watched the interview, I was like, you know what, man? I get it. Good luck to you. You deserve it. And I'm glad, I guess, the fact that he's going out on a high. Because we were talking about it before we went online, Galley. I think if this happened when we were saying he looked tired and stuff like that, even at the end of last season, we would be almost like uh his you know his shelf life expired we even talked about it like you know how much he stayed in dormant his mind minds and stuff like that and i think we would have probably said his shelf life was expiring anyway whereas now we're like man it was a whole new beginning we put a new sticker on the shelf life kind of thing and we could have kept going and that's why i think the more biggest sadness comes from yeah i i <clears throat> i think what it comes down to is when you listen to the man speak and i think mike michael martin is talking about it in this comment on the screen right now when you when you listen to the man speak in his interview you hear a man who is explaining his actions yep. and he almost describes it i mean he doesn't say he saw a forklift with some patio furniture <laughs> but he basically he basically says something very similar he's talking i saw tiago out there kicking it around well no he just he back from about, injury right he thought about dealing with Tiago for another summer. And um, but no, he he basically said, like, I we were having they were having a meeting like in what was it, November? Yep. And they were talking about next year's transfer plans. And like that's how far and forward they're already thinking about all opportunities at this club. And it probably was not only transfer plans, it was probably, hey, we're going on an American tour and we're doing this, and we're gonna and and he literally was like. I don't know that I can see myself doing this job in November or in next summer. And if in November you already can't see yourself doing it, he knows he can't do it. Yeah. And it was like that moment. And he said, you know what? I'm done. And I think it's very similar to how he left Dortmund. I genuinely believe 
he signed that extension a couple years ago because he thought it was going to take longer to turn things around to the point where he feels the club is in now so he could leave. And I think he wasn't going to leave this thing in transition. He was going to transition it. And maybe COVID and, and the club's finances and decision-making and, and guys that were available and his own stubbornness, like maybe that had something to do with not turning over the team faster. But I think it shocked all of us when he signed that last contract extension. Yeah, true. And I think this was him saying, I signed that extension to show you I was dedicated. I got you back to where I think you need to be. You need to go figure it out from here. And I think the club then said, then tell the rest of your backroom staff, none of them are getting the job either. And we're going in a totally new direction and everyone should be clear. And I think that's where they all kind of agreed that they'll all separate at the end of the year. And I think the players have known for a little bit. Some people think the players found out on Friday. I feel like they've known for a little bit. Now they just have to talk about it because it feels to me like they've been kind of all in it. We all said they had a little infinitum that we didn't feel like they knew why they were playing so well and playing every game like cup finals, even random ass Tuesday afternoons in the Europa League. And I think they know this guy was leaving and they're trying to win everything to make sure they win as much as they can before he goes. Yeah, I mean, I it's could be totally like wrong, by the way. He looked at those, like, you know, all the offseason plans and were like, I can't do this again. Then you probably saw he was from <laughs> the U.S. He's like, is Bickler going to be there? Fuck that. I'm out of here kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, how no, much he was afraid of that. He was afraid of another freaking. He was afraid of being accosted by that guy from Indianapolis with the cell phone. That's what he was most <laughs> afraid of. Okay, people, that thing has been shown more than naked pictures of like Marilyn Monroe from the 60s, let me tell you. Everywhere it goes. Have you seen my selfie? That's what he was afraid of. There's probably still a, there's probably like a, a Ronaldo like escape plan for the United States for Jurgen Klopp if he has to come back because of that. I mean, come on. That, it's but he the makes selfie. that decision and he says, and I kind of respect that, like you say, he's leaving it on a high. But, I mean, do you think, Bickler, then this is more of like an accumulation in terms of he was already like beat on and tired of all the battles along the way? I mean, obviously, it's all body blows, right? When you're working in a job like this, uh, it's not a knockout punch. It's like you take a bunch of body blows and eventually it just becomes too much kind of a thing. Do you think that's what it is? Or did he really like want it to kind of get it on the right track? Or even if it wasn't on the right track, he was going to do this anyway because he just does not have the energy. I don't know if it was as well thought out. Like, I, I really think that Jurgen is like, he's this interesting balance of intellect and emotion. And, and I think he does really, I think he does really roll like uh, on an emotional level. And so I think that like, I think when he did assign that extension, he just wasn't ready to be done. Like, I don't think it was like, I'm exhausted. I want to be done, but I'm not going to leave because I don't think the timing's right. I think he felt like he had more in the tank. And I think like, I still think he's got more in the tank, but I think like when you look at the side and you look at where everything's at, like for me, I don't know about you guys, but when, when you make a big life change and you transition into a big part of your life and like work is one of those, like, I feel like you want there to feel like there's natural closure. Right. And I feel like going into this side with like a huge change in the leadership exiting last year, last summer and the squad refreshing the way it has, I really think the foundation has been kind of laid for 
that next iteration of this side. And I think it was just the timing is just too good. And, and you know, it is a natural closure of a chapter um, considering the timing. So I, I think it's just one of those things where he knew he was ready and the timing was right. And, yeah, I mean, you got to kind of respect that. Nobody knows you better than you kind of an ordeal. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I don't want to get into the whole FSG thing because I feel like this is just like a really – no offense, Saito, but it's like a really lazy take, and it's another way. Even to... if we did, we could do a whole show on it. Yeah, so I mean, it's just kind of like opens more the time. door. You know what? Do you know what? Unhappy managers, managers that don't feel supported, don't sign three contract extensions. They just don't, and right. that that doesn't make any right. sense. No matter how you want to try to shape that narrative, it doesn't make sense. If anything, if there's anything financially involved, and I was talking about this this morning, uh, he could feel that the sport is changing. It's just not the prime. I mean, this sport is changing. I mean, we've been, you know, two, three years ago, the Super League thing was like, oh, you know, that's crazy. But now everybody's like, oh, maybe it's coming. Maybe it'll be like this. Maybe it'll be like that. I think the support itself is changing. And maybe he's not liking. I brought up the example of like Saban this morning with like college. I mean, college football is not the same thing. That was pretty much like a semi-pro thing that's become in the U.S. And I can understand why a coach, for example, like Saban, who maybe made a career of sitting in living rooms and saying, like, you know, give me your kid. I'll make him a man. I'll make him go to the NFL, blah, blah, blah. That shit doesn't work anymore because if you don't play him and discipline the kids, he just hits the portal and goes somewhere else. So I can understand maybe Galley, without going into the – because, like I say, it will take hours if you get into the FSG conversation. But maybe the sport itself changing overall kind of yet another body blow. Yeah, I, I I mean, listen, we talked about it last week, and we're not going to talk about transfers. We have a match to review and two matches to preview before next Monday. But, I mean, the, there's been no money spent in England for a reason, people. They're actually a little bit afraid of these financial restrictions being brought down on these clubs. And you know what we have? No worry about anything we want to buy. You know why? We have one of the only self-sustaining clubs in all the world that competes on any front for honors. We sign what players we want when we want them. We get what managers we want. The owners sign the players they want. And we have the best youth players coming up out of our academy because we invested in it over a decade ago with these cheap pricks from, from the United States. But it's not tonight's topic. But really, that's why we're in a good place. And I think that's why Klopp was happy to be here. It's the opposite of why people think he's leaving. But we'll talk about that all at different times. But Maybe we yeah, can well, talk now about those great players from yesterday or something. You know? Yeah, exactly. No That's what I was going to get to, actually, because it's kind of like lays the groundwork that the future looks pretty darn bright. But that kind of like brings me to the game from yesterday. feels like it was a long time ago. It was a long day yesterday of stressful sports watching. Uh, but uh, it was yesterday. So let's talk about that. Uh, you see a lot of those young kids out there, Bickler. How many of those guys – can you comfortably right now perhaps pencil in? You know, we're talking about like they're already talking about transfers and probably looking into who we can add and stuff like that. And <laughs> Jamie says, you have a Guinness glass, top of the league, quadruple is on happy days. But how many of those players do you think from yesterday? And they t they say that I'm not teachable. I'm clearly I take instruction. No, I still stand by that unteachable thing. Uh, but <laughs> let's go to the squad. I mean, Bradley, Kwanzaa, I guess, and McConnell and stuff like that. How many of those players do you think you can pencil in comfortably as in your, like, depth chart, if you will, for next season as you make squad plans? 
I don't. I'm not convinced that we're gonna see the likes of Clark and Beck yet, like regularly, regularly. Um, well, that's a good thing because Beck has gone back on loan. <laughs> this just in from Cersei. He's back on. <laughs> but no, I mean, in terms of uh, like Bradley Kwanzaa. Let's stand um, by that comment. <laughs> he is teachable. I'm gonna um, double down on it. <laughs> Like Bradley, for example, I guess the big one, right? Yes, I mean, Bradley for sure. Ramsey today, for example. Do you pencil him as right back? We don't need depth there. We've done. Dude, I'm like, you don't have to talk me into Bradley at right back. I'm, if it were me, he'd be forcing Trent to win his job back, to be quite honest. Um, I know it's early days, but Bradley has played his pants off for two straight, straight starts and has been on fire. And I would keep rolling with that kid while you got it. Um Yes, I think Bradley will be there. I think Kwanzaa will be there, if for nothing else, than the fact that we have a constant center back crisis. Um, and I mean, I think uh, I I don't know that we'll regularly see McConnell. Great, great debut, by the way. Excellent. Yeah. I I just don't you, you just don't know with these kids, right? I mean, just because they're getting minutes and opportunities now, I don't think I think it is an indication of how highly they are thought of at the club but I don't think it's any indication of how regularly you're going to see them next year um, outside of, uh, of the ones that are like outside of the players that are filling in for players that are injured. Um, like, I think there's a difference there. Yeah. I agree with those names. I guess to play the devil's advocate though, uh, Gally, uh, we pretty much yeah. said the same about Nico a lot. What do you think makes like Bradley better or more long-term than Nico? Well, I mean, first thing is, is I've seen more in two matches out of Bradley than I saw in Nico's eight to 11 years at the club. And that includes some really good performances, but a lot of it was like a flash where we'd be like, oh, he kind of looks like Trent in this way. Yeah. Like I saw Bradley do things I haven't seen Trent do in a while in the last few matches. I saw Bradley show like defend. Um, I saw I saw Bradley show confidence in one twos with players he's probably barely ever been on a pitch outside of a few training sessions with. I think he has a lot of confidence in his game. I don't want to get into this whole thing with like, oh, they're trying to find a replacement for Trent so they can sell him. Like this is where people are going. Like I saw people today actually saying Trent should move to right wing during this time that Mo's out. I'm like, this is just listen. He, he's either getting shoulder like, is winning the balloon door in midfield. All right. <laughs> it doesn't Stop matter. Sitting on the fence, and, Gally. and, and, and both of those are wrong answers. Um, <laughs> he's the right back at the club. And I think that we have a really good backup now. I, I think Bradley finds himself with a role. And I think Ramsey hopefully does enough on loan wherever he went today, Bolton, I think, and hopefully he does enough to be able to sell him for a small profit and just move on from a kid who's never going to make a senior appearance at a club. But <clears throat> if you ask me the kid who I think is actually going to surprise, and I know we, we used a lot of poking fun at him. I think the one who's actually been out on loan and the only one who's succeeding at a high level at his club is actually Tyler Morton. Who's actually kicked on and looks like he might be like a more of a, I, I think he has a real chance to come back next year and potentially take down a spot, not as a starter, but as like a squad player in this side. I mean, he's got, I think it was eight goals and six assists playing basically the eight for Hull. And he's been their best player up to this point all season long. He's had a really big year. Like, I think there's other players within the system. 
I just think it proves that they're just churning out talent, that they're going to continue to be able to sell for profit and continue to be able to supplement the first team. And I think it's just, it, it's an enormous model. People in the chat will call it cheap by ownership. And I'd say it's how you sustain without being able to overspend as a club of our size. And I, I mean, not only that, I think spend in a way, I mean, spend for a player that you really need and you can focus on that player and, you know, get the guy that you really want for the position you need. If you can kind of like find, so you don't have to go out. I mean, we're talking about it this morning with Mateusz as well. Like instead of, you know, you can go out and spend 60 on Soboslai, uh, because you have your backup right back figured out instead of trying to buy one for 20. And then now you only have 40 for the other guy and you can't afford a Dominic Sobosla or stuff like that. So it opens those possibilities. Having said that though, uh, actually Bickler, does this also like Klopp leaving, new manager coming in, kind of like opens up a new slate and clean slate maybe for players like, like for example, Carvalho and people we said in the past just does not fit the system. So the new system might be appealing to these guys. And we said the same thing about Nunez and stuff. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of players that, you know, we've talked about being more natural fits for four, two, three ones or, or, or variants of other formations. And so like that all comes into play, right? I mean, when Klopp walks out, that all, that is all up in the air. There are going to be a lot of balls up in the air. It's going to be very interesting to see where those things land, especially for players like Carvalho who have been fringe players, especially for big name, big money players like Nunes, who we don't really know like what, where his natural position is. We just know that he creates opportunities and he scores. So, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of those things are going to be up in the air. It's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens here, uh, depending on who comes in. And I know, like, there was, like, a whole hoopla about, you know, like, what Van Dyke said today. And I'm assuming, you know. Non-story. only makes sense that yeah. what he says. And, like, I mean, if it was somebody who does not, you know, who plays midfield or a specific type of six, specific type of eight, I can see something like that. But I don't think there's a manager or there's a system in the world that does not have a place for one of the world's best center backs. So I don't think anybody's going to like, eh, he's not really my kind of center back kind of a thing. I don't think there's a manager like that out there. But so looking at that Norwich game, I mean, it was kind of like really easy, smooth watching. And it was probably the ideal case scenario, Galley, where you were able to play a lot of the young kids. You were able to bring in the kid, the, bring in the dudes from the starting eleven. Uh, who are coming back from injury and stuff like that, it's almost like a you couldn't have drawn it out any better. Having said that, what does that tell you about Wednesday and Sunday's games in terms of who we should expect to see, especially out of those guys that just came back, Robertson, Trent, Soboslai? I think we will see a couple of them against Chelsea. I'm not I'm not guaranteeing that we see Soboslai against Chelsea from the start or Robertson. I think you'll see Trent. I don't and I know Paul's like you gotta start Bradley. I think Bradley might maybe start the match against Arsenal, or maybe he doesn't start either of them, unfortunately for him, and he gets, you know, a run out to close out the match. And why not bring your better right back defender in to finish out a match, hopefully with a lead? Um and knowing that you're not losing anything going forward and what he gives you in his interplay with the offense. I think that you're going to see a midfield of if McAllister is fit to play, I think Chelsea's midfield will 
maybe you will on Sobosly in there now that I think of who's available. But it, it's, I mean, it's probably Jones, Sobosly, and and McAllister if they're fit at this point. I I could see we don't love the Elliott and uh you know the Harvey and Jones together, but I could see that potentially with him not playing at all uh, in the League Cup game against Norwich and being rested. I I think that. You're going to have some rotation over these matches. You have to. I mean, it's yeah. a quick turnaround, and these are guys that are coming back from injury. And I think Gomez played too well to not start him at left back against Chelsea, but I could be totally wrong. This is Klopp. He'll probably go right back to Trent and Rabo and be like, these are my fullbacks. They play when they're fit. Yeah, what do you think, Bickler? I mean, I think those two are like the probably like the biggest questions. And knowing the Ars- – I mean, and how much of a factor is it the fact that, you know, we're playing Arsenal next on Sunday? Uh, I mean, it'll factor in a little bit. I don't know how much you can control that because, like, I don't think you can – like, I don't know that you want to uh, – I don't know if you want to go in too weak versus Chelsea either. And I don't know how much weaker you can go in versus Chelsea, to be quite honest. I mean, yeah. like, you know, the the fact of the matter is is when you've got a uh, – you know, basically you've got – Five-point gap with one game in hand. You can't really afford to start making concessions on lineups versus teams like Chelsea, no matter how up and down they are. So I think it'll be pretty strong. I agree with Galley. Like, as much as I like Bradley and what he's done, I think if Trent's available, he's going to play, right? Um, and he's going to play at fullback. Um, so I, I think Trent will be there. I agree with Gomez. I think, you know, I, I don't know. I know where Robertson is from a fitness standpoint is the thing. Um, and so, I mean, maybe he plugs and goes, but I think you've got to, I, I think you've got to play, uh, you've got to play Gomez in one of the two. Um, and so maybe you play him in Arsenal, right? And you, you say like, you'd rather have Gomez for Arsenal and then you give Robbo the Chelsea start. So one of those things is going to happen. I'm not sure which um, I, I think, I think the midfield I'm probably, Jones, McAllister, although you're gonna have to have McAllister versus Arsenal. So I think you're gonna see some I, I think you're gonna see some early subs in this match, regardless, just because you're gonna have to have some sort of yeah. rotation because the depth isn't there, right? So um let's see, Chelsea. You know, I could I could kind of see I could kind of see the Jones and Harvey tandem in this game. I know we hate it. But I could see it, and I think it actually matches up pretty well with that lineup, considering that they just put, um, oh god, what's his name now? I'm totally blank. Gallagher right in the middle of that pitch. So I think that that probably slots in well for both of those guys to play in. And then, yeah, I think that's probably what I would see. Um, and then you've got, I think up top you've got to go, you've got to go Nunez, uh, Nunez, Jota. Diaz, yeah. you got to. Like, yeah. I don't know where else you go from there, you know? And I think, uh, I don't know. I think you, I, I guess you got to play Diaz. Like, the the problem with the side, and it's the same problem it's always been, is like, I don't know where you get a naturally right sided attacker, right? Like, I, I think we've seen, we've, out of all these players, the one that's played the best as a right sided attacker is Gakpo. And that's like, you don't want him there either. But like, Diaz gets lost over there. Nunez, forget about it. Uh, Jota sometimes does okay over there, but like the fact of the matter is there's nobody that you have right who isn't better on the left or central. And like, that's, that's the problem, right? So who are you handcuffing over there? 
It's just such a weird issue with this squad. Would have it, been a great opportunity for Ox if it was here right, <laughs> right now. To play exactly. Right but I mean, honestly, I, I, I found it interesting, by the way, that uh, and we had that quote actually shared on our social media, I think a few days ago, that Gakpo actually prefers and would rather play on left wing. So he does yeah. prefer the win. I thought based on his style, he would have actually liked being in the middle a bit more. Where he can, oh, like, he said that coming top. in that he preferred the left. Yeah. Uh, so, but I mean, I guess you can put him in the wing there. One guy that I wanted to ask you guys, because obviously, based on the selections over here, I'm assuming still not in high rating, is Gravenberg. What do you make of his game, Galley, and like how or where or if does he fit? I was about to say earlier, I was going to jump in when we were talking and Paul Randall off every midfielder that might play this weekend. I was actually going to say I would be more comfortable playing McConnell than starting Gravenberch because I thought when Gravenberch scored the goal and did the celebration, and I was happy for him. It was it was a great ball by Bradley to kick the ball into the ground, and he just got his forehead in the way, and it went in. I thought it was arguably like the exclamation point on one of the worst 90-minute performances I've seen. I thought Gravin Birch was one of the worst players on the pitch against Norwich. I thought he was lost almost all match long. He turned the ball oh, over. You mean like we, out of our players, you're saying? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, out of our players. Like, I just felt like it almost felt like this was a match where everything worked for us except for Ryan Gravin Birch. He looked like a fish out of water at times. He plays soft. Like he's he's got this strapping body, he gets knocked off the ball by players that feel like they're like smaller than me. Yeah. Like he just it it he just looks like he's thinking all the time, and maybe he just hasn't picked up the tactics yet, or he's still carrying the heavy price tag. Um I know there's a player in there, and I understand there's a lot of talent, and you can see it at times. He glides on the pitch, but he he does that for three and a half, four minutes a, a match. And I feel like he just disappears the entire rest of the time. And it just doesn't make sense to me. Maybe it's the tactics. Maybe it's formation. Maybe it's his fit. But again, this, you know, he's got a little Renato Sancho in him. Like everybody loves to tell you how good a player Renato Sanchez is and how great he's going to be. And then he gets to your club and you see like a month or two and you're like, wait, this is a guy on his second massive club and both clubs are basically asking the exact same question. What does he do and where does he fit in? And the answer is not well and not enough. And that's the thing. I thought, you know, when I saw the goal and I was like, wait, okay, maybe like these are things maybe he needs. And I think maybe Bickler that there are other, so many other options that he does not, and he's not going to get as many opportunities as he normally would have perhaps but do you think like is it just a matter of like him not valuing positive i mean you comparing like Sido's comparing him to jones i would not even put him on the same rcm lc i'd rather put jones as a right midfielder ahead of gravenberg if i have to mainly due to the value of possession that you get from jones that you do not get from gravenberg he just does some things that Seem like he's off script, if that makes sense. Uh, so uh, there's a lot to unpack there. I think, look, I, I think it's really, I think the conversation on Grammar Birch is kind of harsh. It, what has he had? Has he been poor for a while? Yes. But I think we're also conveniently forgetting some of these conversations we had where we thought we had 
one of the gems of the summer window, uh, one of the steals of the summer window. And this is after we'd seen performances from it, right? So, like, let's not forget a start with the club, which was pretty tasty. So, like, that being said, I got to think that some of this is mental, right? Which is, like, hand up. That's accountability on his part, right? Like, he's got to learn as uh, a player maturing how to put his hand up. It, it, it admit when he's struggling and, and find what he needs to do to get back into a routine where he can kind of build up some of that self-confidence and get his game back to where it needs to be. Um, part of that I think is going to be from the fact that like, I feel like his minutes uh, he's gotten minutes, but I don't think they've come with regularity. And I also don't feel like they've come with any sort of like uh, pre-planning. Like I feel like his his minutes have been really reactionary minutes which I think are completely different than when you have a planned strategy to bleed player minutes in, uh, especially on a young player. So like, I, I've, I think part of it is like, I think part of it's on the club and on Jurgen Klopp to, to hold the hand up and take some responsibility from being able to bet a, a young player in and settle them in. Um, I, I think we do need to remember like some perspective that this kid came in with and that he did, he did light it up when he came in. So we know it's there, but yeah, like there is no excuse for a player his size to get moved off the ball in uh, on the near post on a header and get scored on. Like there's there he's been a turnover machine in midfield, and we're talking. This is the other thing that makes me think it's mental. It's not just like the fact that he's being off outfought for stuff. It's the fact that he's making mistakes that you're taught in like grade school not to make, like turning Correct. the ball into the center of the pitch in dangerous areas. Like he's he's forgetting like simple things that are basically drilled into your brain at a really young age about, you know, turning ball side, like, like just very, very simple things that like, it's weird to see a player not do and, 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 and frankly terrifying when you, when he's on your team. Right. So I think we need to give him a little bit. I, let's see what happens here, but yeah, he's definitely one that's got to feel some heat here and he's definitely an underperforming piece. I still think he can't have a future at this club, but we got to figure it out. We got to figure it out because like, here's the thing. Jurgen's here for what? And then what? So, yeah, I mean, I think it's too early to judge him as a player or anything oh. like that. It's more about, I mean, I always say, like, he just got, he's the guy that gets on the elevator right when the door is closing when he came into the transfer market. So he hasn't had a preseason and he hasn't had, like, you know, any, I mean, you know, they don't obviously practice as much as normal, especially with this, like, schedule where they play every three days and stuff like that. And he will get his opportunities. It's just, hard to find the fit for him right now galley because it almost feels like he knows and he's trying hard but he's trying harder is he's almost trying to get out of the funk with finesse as opposed to you know some players will i mean that's what Soboslai did when he first came in right ran his ass off and that kind of like got him into the groove that way it almost feels like Ravenberg is trying to do it with finesse and gliding through to get over the hump as opposed to kind of like grinding through uh, winning some balls and like putting in some tackles and stuff. I think it's completely what's happening. And I think the, he is trying to figure out his way to do it. And it feels like he's trying to do it through highlight real plays and shots from outside the box. And, and I think that's what leads to bad turnovers and bad spots. And that's what supporters remember. And you know how we know this? Cause that's how we talked about Curtis Jones two and a half seasons ago. Yeah. Exactly. When he played exactly like Graven Birch is playing right now. But we were patient with Curtis Jones. And whether Saidu likes it or not, he's turned out to be our most consistent and overall best midfielder at the club, who makes the best runs forward and actually has the best eye for goal, 
which is how he got himself into position to score the opening goal in that match, which was a class header by a midfielder who drifted into the box and positioned his body like a striker to score a goal that was perfectly put on him by McConnell. But like, that's what he does. And then he created a goal later in the match. I mean, again, it was, wouldn't be the day I'd be jumping into the comments to talk (laughs) trash about Curtis Jones because he was right up there. If Bradley wasn't as good as he was, Curtis Jones would have taken himself home another man of the match trophy. <laughs> and honestly, yeah, it's not like Gravenberg, like you said, I think maybe off the players on the pitch, probably you would, if you gave ratings out, he was probably the lowest. He did not have a terrible game. Um, but next to Jones and McConnell, who that's the only thing that kid has to learn because that kid is like a walking red card in the Premier League, uh, the way he balls and like goes into tackles and stuff like that. But that will kind of get out of it. I, it almost feels like Thiago a little bit where he's just like, keep stand up, kids. I did. Yeah, that guy that supposedly comes. And he's going to be back too. Oh, I can't wait to try to work him into the equation. So two games coming up, Chelsea first and then Arsenal away. If I give you four points right now, Bickler, are you taking and running with it? Yes. Okay. Does it matter where the points are coming from? Where no. the one and three are coming from? Nope. No. Okay. Galley, I give you four points. Are you taking on running with it? Yes. But I really think if we want to win the league, we need all six points from the remainder of this week. I genuinely believe that in my heart. I think we have to keep putting pressure on City. We need to keep a, a short to small lead ahead of them. And I also think we need to separate ourselves from Arsenal's just more than anything to almost put them out of it in their own mind. Because I just think it's more important that it just comes down to us and City, but we'll see where that goes from there. So let me guys ask you this, because um, Matush made like the bold statement of the morning over here. Um, let's say, what do you put our title chances percentage-wise right now? And what would you put, where would you put it if we do get six out of these next two games? Bickler. Because Brian Sheldon says we need all six points. I mean, yeah, I would love all six points, but I'm not going to be shattered, I think. Especially if you beat Chelsea and if you come up with a, come back with a point from Emirates, I'm not going to be depressed about it. I mean, disappointed maybe, but not depressed. Back to the percentages, Bickler. Shoot us some numbers. Okay, so my head says like 66%, and my heart says like 80%. Right Just now. Be- yeah. Yep. Before the six points. So after six mm-hmm. points, that number, those numbers become? Uh, I would go – like I don't think – look, I don't think two points makes a huge, massive difference in the scope of the entire season because of all the things that can and can't happen. I probably go like 60, 80 or like 70, 85, but like, I, I think my, I'm, I'm torn because I think like this side just feels like it has that thing. It feels like it has just that, that never, like, I feel like we're getting three points when things are against us, when we get every bad bounce, when we don't deserve to be in the match, when we haven't played great and we've been outplayed, we're finding ways to get three points. And that's what title winners do. Um, you know, it's never as dominant feeling as that 2021 team, but it feels like that same 
it, it just has that same energy about it. I can't really put that into words. Really? I, I'm a, I'm not that boisterous. Um, because history has proven to me what city does literally by basically going on runs from like February to May every year. I feel it's like a 50, 50, maybe 55, 45 right now today. If you tell me we get these six points, I'd probably move that up to like 60% we win it, 40% we get pipped. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I'm kind of like in the middle, I think. I'd probably put us at like 55, 60 right now. But really, if we get six points out of these two fixtures, I will raise that up to like 70 or so. And I think the only thing that worries us probably is the fact that it is City. If it was Arsenal we were going against, I would have put those numbers a lot higher. But I feel like it's two very tough fixtures, regardless of how Chelsea is. I mean, the players they have are capable of certain things. Uh, and obviously, we know Arsenal. So I would definitely... I mean, I understand where, like Alan says, we have to aim for six points. I think if you don't aim for... You don't go any game aiming for one because, you know, if you aim for a draw, you're probably getting a loss anyway with that mindset. But I'm talking about in terms of how we would take the results. Go ahead, Gal. You were about to say something. I was just going to say championship teams don't drop points to teams like Chelsea at home. And I understand, like, they're Chelsea and it's a big match and they play us differently. They're not in a good place. They've been taken to – I mean, they've lost to Luton. They've lost some matches that are just abysmal. They're <clears throat> at times dysfunctional. I know they've played a little better of late, but we should be able to get at a Chelsea side that's trying to figure themselves out, that doesn't have their best 11 and hasn't figured out their best way. And I think that you're playing Chelsea at home in, another, in your first Premier League match at home after this Klopp announcement. Like, you show up Wednesday, you get – championship sides get those three points and i think if they get those three points you have all that confidence to go into the arsenal match thinking to yourselves we lay a marker down today on the road in london and i think like that's to paul's point i feel like that's what's happening here is i think this is like the galvanizing of this side they're either gonna pick up this momentum from klopp's announcement and they're gonna like roll with it and hold it like a badge of honor or it's going to weigh on them. So far, in my opinion, the way they've handled the media, the way they've handled their availability, it all sounds like they're ready for this and they're embracing it. But it'll be interesting to see how it goes because this is going to be a lot, man. They're, they basically changed the whole entire story every day until May 22nd when they play the when the final whistle of the yeah. Wolves game happens. It is all about Jurgen Klopp, and I know that's not what Klopp wanted, and we'll talk about why this happened on a different pod. But I, I, I do think it's it's on the players now to step up and take this momentum forward because they're the only ones who can do it. All Klopp can do is say funny things in press conferences and ask supporters not to sing songs that they're just going to sing even more if you keep asking them. Note to Klopp, stop talking about the supporters singing your song. They might sing it less. Yes, I mean, he's uh, talks stuff into existence, like the early morning games and stuff like that. Uh, but so that's a good point, by the way, Bickler. Like, how do you think the team reacts? I mean, I just don't see the Norwich game, for example, as a good barometer of how the team uh, will react. I think even the half, because especially since they had all the kids too, those, you know those kids were going to give it all. Uh, but especially the senior players, 
how do you think they react is there any let's send this guy off on a good note or doesn't matter who the guy is we gotta I win anyway because we're competitors well i mean they're certainly gonna play harder right like they're not gonna play i don't think they're gonna play like not as hard because he's not gonna be back uh I, but i think this goes back to something galley said at the beginning of the pod i think I think the side's known for a little bit, and I think that's why the side feels like it has a little bit of magic this year. Like, you know, we go back and look at how this team, when they were trying to figure out its midfield, when they were going through weird injury crises, when they had, like, a lot of these kind of disruptions in the squad, we were still grinding out these results out of nothing with new players. And it just – it just – the team's different, but the magic's the same from that 2021 run. I, I just strongly believe that. Like, uh, I do believe that they've known for a little bit, and I do believe that 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 I think what we're feeling out of the squad is the reaction to that. So, yeah, I definitely think there's a reaction. I think it's a positive one for the side. Do you think, like, Gally, like they, you know, he might have maybe told the captains or hinted it. I mean, is it one of those things where they kind of? see the writing on the wall like we know we don't know for sure we can't see it but we know there's a pot of chili simmering in the background behind uh that black wall that Vipler has in that kitchen right now so is it like that where we know even though we can't see it we kind of like know it uh get a sense of it or you think he pretty much told the, the big boys at least to hey let's make me go on a high note over here change it changes the whole definition to the writing is on the wall it is through the wall, behind the wall, over the upper, over the left hand shoulder. It's graffitied um, on the back wall, behind this wall. Yeah, it's graffitied on the back wall. It's it's just Chef Boyardee simmering in a pot. Um, but uh, with band, you know, that's rude. By the way, I respect Bickler to know he can make his own chili and not open up a freaking. It's a good pan point. Pan. It's not right. Chef Boyardee. It's probably some ramen noodle because we're on the we're on a budget on Monday. <laughs> Um, Listen, guys, I spent 20 years in food retail. I know my way around the kitchen, all right? That's why Bamford hangs out at this house. We just know you don't know your way to the kitchen because you knocked down everything on your way Listen, over just because, the kitchen, yeah. just because stuff doesn't get plated on actual dishware doesn't mean I don't know what I'm doing around here. That is true. That is true. It is fine dining. It's just served out of a out of a uh, three-quarters quart saucepan. Sorry. Um, Sorry for trying to be efficient. Jesus. <laughs> Direct from pot to mouth. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Gal. Whoa. I don't even know where to go with that. It's too late in this podcast for pot to mouth. Yeah, no, let's just let um, that float. Yeah. No, I will let that simmer. I uh, didn't. Do- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I knew that was the way to. I knew Dude, that was the way to end this. How does I knew Gally I, have I, better dad jokes than me and Tim? It doesn't. Yeah, make sense. I just want to make that clear. I do want to make that clear. Um, there is a guarantee, people. Dude, do you know the like, word? The word "simmer" will be in the podcast title. There is like, a guarantee. Make, I swear to God, if you make another dad joke, Kelly's ovaries in the other room are gonna like start turning over. They will like, explode. They will. They will. Kelly is running They'll those probably... DNA tests in the background yeah. to see if actually he has like a couple of kids somewhere. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You know what, man? Now now you went too far. Now you went too far. Uh, We brought Kelly's ovaries into it. That was the line. Correct. I it got so off the rails. I have no idea what the question was or where we were going. Be totally honest. Dude, we hey, what an hour in the kitchen was the question. This happened like 57 minutes like later than I thought it would. So I mean, hey, yeah, we did we did well. Okay, score predictions then. Let's go with that since we've hit the hour mark over here. 
and that before that thing comes to a boil in the background, uh, let's just get some scores. Chelsea Arsenal, Galley, go. Uh, Chelsea Arsenal. I don't know when they play. Uh, uh, Liverpool versus Chelsea. <laughs> Liverpool versus Chelsea. I will go. Uh, I'm going to go with the Tamuchin special and say it's a three-one uh, home victory. And I am going to call for the six-point win. We go to the Emirates and we win two to one. Damn, man, you stole my thunder there, uh, Bickler. Uh, Two-nil Chelsea, and I will go two-one uh, Arsenal. Like we win at Arsenal, not oh, Arsenal. Okay. Sorry, I saw the concern. I, I yeah, you we were like, wait, what? Yeah. Actually, you yeah. said you said two nil Chelsea and two one Arsenal. I was like, did Bickler just predict we get zero yeah. points? No, I what you know, happening? I guess I just assumed <laughs> that we were talking wins there. Sorry, guys. I'll go with the Timuchin special for the Chelsea game. Uh, I'm thinking a three-two win at Arsenal. The crazy Ooh. game that did not happen at Anfield. I kind of predict over there, but yeah, I mean, six points would be freaking huge man like i say it would kind of like get us on the highway to the title and i would love to see that and hopefully the boys respond well it's going to be an interesting week it's going to be an interesting few months over here but definitely start with this week over here and then obviously come march the schedule gets even weirder but that's it for us this week as always like subscribe and hit all those buttons and as bickler would say uh where is that sample like and subscribe smash that like button like and subscribe. Smash that like button. And as Galley says, this does sound a lot better without the video. So we'll go with that. Have an awesome week, everybody. We'll see you guys next week, hopefully talking about these six points and what they mean. Take care.